Oh, and I forgot to mention, if you are interested, anyone in this room is interested, we have Engage happening today. That's our children's program, um, which runs once a month on the second Sunday of the month down in the Fellowship Hall. All sorts of fun and exciting crafts and games and activities to be had there. So all those folks who are headed that way are headed to the back of the sanctuary, and you are invited to join them as we now turn to this morning's sermon and the question that I've begun with the last two weeks, and we begin with again today. What if the Christmas story is still happening? And so as we continue this morning in our Honest Advent Worship series, I hope that if you're reading along with the devotional, that you're finding it thought-provoking, and that this focus on the very human realities of the Advent story is for all of us encouraging and hope-inspiring. This Advent, may we find that the God who unexpectedly appeared and transformed the entire trajectory of Mary's life is continuing to appear and transform us still today. And so we're continuing to center Mary's experience this morning as the very first one to truly live out the Advent story. And today we are focusing on the single verse that sets everything into motion. The angel has laid out God's whole plan for salvation through incarnation, and for a moment, every eye turns to Mary as she responds, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Now, one note before we begin the sermon, though. A week ago, at Christmas in the village, I helped as the youth group served a lunch of sloppy joes with chips and brownies and a pickle spear on the side. When we finished what must have been a full gallon of pickles about halfway through the meal, we were left with a substantial amount of pickle juice, and there was obviously no way forward that did not somehow involve challenging the youth to drink the pickle juice. And so without any physical prizes immediately on hand, I promised that every youth who drank a glass of pickle juice, their choice of any one word that I would have to incorporate into my sermon today. And so each of the youth happily downed a glass of what tasted rather like pickle concentrate. And so I have dutifully and hopefully seamlessly incorporated all three of their words into today's sermon. I will let you guess what two of those three words could be. Prize for a correct guess is a glass of pickle juice. But the third probably requires a definition up front. The word yeet, past tense yeeted, is a youthful colloquialism that means to throw something violently Or with force. And now we are ready to begin. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. There is an awful lot gone unsaid when Mary says to the angel, Let it be with me, just as you have said. Because the angel has only said so much. And what the angel has said has been in rather sweeping statements and generalities. And half of what the angel said was only because Mary insisted on asking a follow-up question about how the whole thing sounded basically impossible. If I were in Mary's place, I'd have at least a half dozen questions queued up to ask next before I agreed to anything. And I mean, wasn't there any fine print that she should have read through first? Shouldn't she have maybe consulted with a lawyer or a doctor before agreeing to this whole thing? This is an awfully binding assent she gives to a very vague proposal. I'd like to know, Mary, 
Did you know what you were getting into? Now, this is in some ways the premise to that familiar contemporary Christmas song which Greg played so marvelously a few minutes ago, Mary, Did You Know? It's an imaginary exploration of the unfathomable future that lay before Mary. And it's beloved by many, but it also isn't without its controversies. Particularly that the song can seem like a rather sexist portrayal of a clueless Mary who apparently forgot everything the angel said to her. Mary, did you know? Well, at least a little, because the angel just said it. Now we're going to tackle this, but I'm going to do my very best to leave the song and our love of the song intact by the end of this, because I do love the song, and there's something of deep value to it. But I do want to say that the song asks a question that we can answer. Mary, did you know? She may not have known specifically that Jesus would walk on water, but she knew that he would save our sons and daughters. The angel told her that. She knew that he would make her new. The angel told her. She may not have known about giving sight to the blind man or calming the storm, but she knew he had walked where angels trod. She definitely knew that he was the Lord of all creation because the angel was pretty specific about that part. The same can be said about him ruling the nations. Did she know he was the Lamb of God? Well, not exactly, but that was kind of a surprise for everybody. And so we might answer the song in order. Mary, did you know? No, yes, yes, no, no, yes, 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 and of course not. Mary calls herself as a servant of the Lord here in this verse. And that's a description that is sometimes interpreted as though she is an unwitting and unaware participant, completely lacking in agency and just sort of along for the ride. Now, this is a gendered stereotype that hardly gets placed on Paul, who describes himself using the very same words in the first line from the book of Romans. Paul, servant of Christ, he writes before beginning his massive dissertation on his faith. Mary was not clueless, but rather faith-filled in exactly this same way, glad to serve her part in God's overarching salvation story as the servant of God, convinced of the great things that God would do through her just as the angel had said. Mary heard the message and trusted the word of the messenger. Let it be with me, just as you have said, she said to the angel. She knew enough to assent to God's wondrous plans. But I think that the tone of the song, the overarching question, is still valuable. I think there's still a place to wonder about the unknowns in Mary's story. God paints promises in broad brushstrokes across our lives and then expects us to live still day by day. There's an awful lot of space between the angel's visit and when Jesus would be walking on water. There's an awful lot of space even between the angel's visit and when Jesus would actually be born. With so many unknowns in the middle, I still wonder if Mary knew what she was getting herself into. And especially when it comes to the more mundane realities she suddenly had before her. I think we might ask, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would cause your swollen ankles? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would leave your life in shambles? Did you know for the aches and pains apply a warm compress? The Son of God regardless 
an all-new source of stress. Did you know? There was a, a class in my high school that tried to teach the realities of pregnancy and parenting in a hands-on format. And while I never took the class myself, it was a lesson that could hardly be missed. You could tell when the unit had started because the students in that class would suddenly be walking around the school between classrooms and in the lunchroom and everywhere else wearing fake pregnancy bellies. And then for a few days, they would experience the discomfort of this added girth of pregnancy before graduating to parenthood when they would carry around these mechanical baby dolls to care for. Now, the babies were relatively advanced, and while they didn't move, they would periodically cry throughout the day unless they were fed with the plastic bottle that you were given with them. Now, I can say now in retrospect that the babies were a bit less than realistic. They cried, but not with much gusto. They lacked that particularly terrifying moment when an an infant pauses to gulp in air while they quake with their tiny hands and tiny fists before releasing an earth and eardrum-shattering shriek. The little pre-recorded wail inside this baby failed to strike with that same biological necessity that seems to pain a caregiver into responding. These babies' little plastic faces were all fixed in a rather neutral state, which meant that they couldn't manufacture that one single tear rolling off of the eyelashes to prove that your baby is really inconsolably upset. And there was no way that this little baby doll would ever wake randomly in the middle of the night and refuse to be settled by anything except being rock and sung to, at which point you would discover that your brain has inconveniently yeeted every children's song you've ever known right out of your hippocampus, leaving you no choice but to make up the words to tunes you vaguely remember and rock the baby back to sleep while singing supercalifragilisticexpialidocious if you don't you know the way you scream is truly quite ferocious if this singing doesn't work i guess i'll try hypnosis supercalifragilisticexpialidocious but even if the fake babies were a little bit less than perfect they were plenty sufficient to bring a bit of reality to a part of life that is so often idealized and glossed over pregnancies are uncomfortable And caring for an infant can be consuming and exhausting. We can get so caught up in the wonder of new life that we forget that even these miraculous things rest on the solid foundation of the everyday. Then the angel left her, Luke writes, and we might imagine the transition that happens for Mary in this moment. This moment as the ecstasy of divine revelation ends and reality returns. It might be a moment that we recognize ourselves, that point when the prayer ends, when the vision and the insight that were before us become now a memory to carry as we climb on down the mountain to trudge through the valley ahead of us. Mary, did you know the reality of what you were signing up for? Did you know about the third trimester heartburn, the insomnia, and the fatigue, the cravings, and the nausea, the exhaustion, and the discomfort, and all that before the baby is even born. Mary, did you know? Because we rarely remember. 
we tend to tell the Christmas story with a holy veneer over the pages that glosses over these messier details, leaping from the angelic encounter to the birth without much thought for what happens in between. And then there in Bethlehem, we stylize the image in a particular way. Mary is always depicted so peacefully in the stable, kneeling and gazing down at the newborn in the manger without a trace of exhaustion present in her eyes and certainly no other indication that she just labored mightily to bring that child into the world. And Jesus himself is always so perfectly swaddled in this pristine white sheet halo glowing fiercely in the night as he smiles gently or sleeps peacefully. The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, we sing in Away in a Manger. It's as perfect a picture as we can imagine it, even if it requires pushing an awful lot just out of the frame. We come to the scene honestly, trying only to capture the sacredness of the moment. And yet it can leave us a sanitized Christmas and the unfortunate subliminal message that the messiness of everyday life has no place in a holy moment. As Scott Erickson, the author of the Honest Advent devotional, writes, we will always take our most important stories and sacredly set them apart so we remember them for the rest of time. But this process becomes unhelpful when we separate our own fleshy humanity from the humanity found in these sacred stories. Because when we dismiss the aches and pains, the fluids and hair, the naked fleshiness under all the fancy clothing, we can dismiss ourselves from being ones who could also find ourselves in a sacred story. Including the fullness of Mary's experience in this story, remembering all the mess and discomfort of pregnancy and childbirth, makes space for us to find something sacred in our less glamorous moments. This is, after all, the message of the incarnation. The God who sometimes seems stuck in the holy places has shown up and participated in everyday life to prove that even the mundane can contain space for the holy. An ancient Christian hymn said, he whom the entire universe could not contain was within your womb. O Theotokos. The word Theotokos was a title given to Mary that meant bearer of God in reference to the sacred work of holding the infinite divine within the everyday realities of childbearing. The Almighty God, creator of the universe, came to us in the same slow and vulnerable way that every child is formed, knit together in the hidden protection of a body fearfully and wonderfully made in a process that is extraordinarily sacred and completely human. The arrival of the Almighty came with placenta and morning sickness and stretch marks and so much waiting, so much waiting in an endless string of completely ordinary days. This is where God chose to meet us, in the sacred ordinary of everyday life. This is where God might still meet us, in the throwaway moments, in the in-between spaces, in the stretches of boring normality that hardly seem remembering, worth remembering. As Shrek says, in Shrek, 
that timeless, animated classic from 2001 and winner of the first ever Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. You know, Donkey, sometimes things are more than they appear. And so they are. The mystics and the saints of the church have known this for a long time before Shrek ever said it. And for a long time, they have encouraged us to become truly present in our lives and the bodies we live our lives in. There could be more than we expect. God might be waiting for us there. This is so often also the focus of poets, breaking open everyday life so we can see the sacred hidden within. A favorite poet of mine, Mary Oliver, does this particularly well in a number of her works. And in one poem titled, Have You Ever Tried to Enter the Long Black Branches? She asks, listen, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? While the soul, after all, is only a window, and the opening of the window no more difficult than the wakening from a little sleep. Mary's story is worth remembering in full, both because of how she carries the glory of God as we have long portrayed in pictures and nativity scenes, but also because she can be a reminder to awaken to the sacred story of the ordinary, a reminder that God can show up wrapped in the everyday complexity and discomfort of living in our own human bodies. As Scott Erickson writes, our bodies, with all their fleshy, sweaty, hairy, nausea-prone, heartburn-prone, cellulite gloriousness, will be a part of the sacred story you will one day find yourself in. Even the screaming baby is a sacred reminder that they are alive, that we are alive, that we can breathe deeply and live fully in the embodied life God loved so much that God shared it with us. May we breathe and awaken and find the sacred in the ordinary. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, I invite us now to stand as you are able to continue in worship.